0: It's been a fun time to be a part of Good News Church. Uh, remember a few weeks ago, we, we saw uh, the uh, boys baptized up here. There was the, the family that joined, the Gaffneys joined the church, and we baptized all their boys. Remember that a few weeks ago? That was super fun. And then to have the, the Pippus and the uh, LaVertues joined this morning, it's, it's been a really fun time to be a part of Good News It's been fun to see more of you joining us in worship, and I know there's many, many people here this morning who are here for the first time. Thank you for being a part of worship with us this morning. We rejoice over the past few weeks. We saw 10 people profess faith in Christ. You know, I mentioned a few weeks ago that during this time of year, people's spiritual windows are open just a little bit more to be willing to consider Jesus Christ. And we see that, don't we, in and, and these folks who have put their trust in Christ because of the witness of members of our church. This year, we've seen 43 unique evangelists who have led someone to faith in Christ through, the, through their uh, ministry where they live, work, or play. That's amazing, 43. And I really encourage you, come back next week because next week, Travis Stevens, our Global Outreach Director, is gonna share an update about the progress we've been able to make in planting churches around the world. And did you know that 13% of everything that's given to Good News Church goes to plant churches here in the States and around the world? So thank you for your generosity Thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Thank you for all that you're doing to make it possible for people to meet Jesus. And really, I just want to name the name of Jesus. I believe that there is something in the person of Jesus that is compelling and beautiful and amazing and awesome and worth following with everything that we have. And so I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18, and I'm going to read just a few verses from John 18, and we're going to keep going in our series on the I am's of Jesus. We finished the seven great I am's of Jesus in the gospel of John. And then last week and this week we've had two, but wait, there's more I am's of Jesus. And then next week we have a a special message to get ready for Christmas Eve entitled, who do you say I am? But we've been looking at Jesus and hearing from him who he says he is. So let me read verses 4 through 8 of John chapter 18. So Jesus, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. He said to them, I am. And Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them. So when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I said to you that I am he, as you seek me. Let these go their way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Jesus, open our eyes to see your greatness, your glory. Open our eyes to to see who you are, Jesus, glorify the Father and Holy Spirit, come and fill hearts with joy as we hear again this message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. So Christmas this year is super fun. One of the things that's fun about Christmas for our family this year is our grandson, Hudson. He's four months old, and this is his first Christmas. And uh, he's there with the biggest Santa Claus I've ever seen. He's ginormous, that Santa Claus. But the, don't bury the lead, that, that little baby boy is cute, right? I mean, he is adorable. And we love Hudson, Hudson, he, he's not going to remember this Christmas. He's just, he's not going to remember it. He's not going to remember the gifts he opens. But my wife and I are working incredibly hard to find the gift that Hudson's mom and dad really want us to buy for him. And so we're looking all over for it, online, in the stores, and we're trying to figure out how to get it to Louisiana in time for Christmas. Because we love Hudson. That's what love does. Do you know that all of us, every single one of us, was made for love? We were made to experience a love relationship with God. There is inside every one of us a God-shaped hole that only Jesus Christ can fill. We were all made to to know and experience the love of Jesus. And so what we're going to learn this morning is that Jesus is the one we're all looking for. Jesus is the one we're all looking for. Now, as we walk through this passage, I want us to learn that there's a wrong way of looking for Jesus. There's a right way of looking for Jesus. And then what should we do once we find him? There's a right, wrong way of looking for Jesus, a right way of looking for Jesus. And then what do we do when we find him? Now go back up to John chapter 18, verse 1. And let's just walk through this passage. It says that Jesus had spoken these words, and he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, where there was a garden, in which he entered with his disciples. Now, from John 13 through John 17, you will see a sea of red letters, Jesus has been speaking with his disciples on his last night with them. And in the Gospel of John, John records the greatest detail of Jesus' final words to his disciples. And after he was done with the Lord's Supper, and after he was done with with his high priestly prayer in John 17 he leaves the city of Jerusalem with his disciples and he walks down the Kidron Valley and back up the other side to the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem and the the Mount of Olives is a mount it's about 2,600 feet above sea level and Jerusalem Jerusalem is around 2,400 feet above sea level. And so Jesus and his disciples, as they enter into this garden area on the Mount of Olives, are looking out across the Kidron Valley into the city of Jerusalem. And from there, the other Gospels tell us that Jesus went a little bit away from his disciples and he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember what he prayed? Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus prays in the garden. And as he's praying in the garden, there's a, another group that's crossing from Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley and coming up the Mount of Olives And entering into this garden scene. Now Judas, also who was betraying him, knew the place. For Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Judas. Judas comes into the the garden. A friend a friend of Jesus, one who had been with him all throughout his public ministry, Judas, his betrayer, comes into the garden and he knew Jesus would be there. And it had to be, for in Psalm 41, verse 9, we read this, Even my close friend, In whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You ever feel betrayed by a friend? Jesus understood what it was to be betrayed by a friend, and it had to be. It had to be in fulfillment of Scripture, and and it had to be a friend many years ago. A singer-songwriter named Michael Card penned these words as he reflected upon the betrayal of Judas. Why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause such pain. And so Judas comes. But Judas isn't alone. Judas doesn't walk into the garden that night by himself. Judas, having received the Roman cohort and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came There with lanterns and torches and weapons. The NIV calls uh, calls this group a detachment. The New American Standard that I've just read calls it a cohort, a more technical term. And it could have been that Judas was accompanied by up to 600 soldiers with lanterns and weapons. Those men came to the garden that night, led by Judas, and they were expecting one of two things. Lanterns, they were expecting to have to search for Jesus. That was their experience with criminals. That was their experience with hunted men. Hunted men always hid themselves in the darkness of night. And so they went out with lanterns expecting to have to search for Jesus. And they went with weapons because they expected a fight. Because that's what hunted men always do when they're backed into a corner. Hunted men, when they're backed into a corner, always fight. And so these Roman soldiers, experienced manhunters, come with lanterns and weapons. But look at who they find instead. Jesus knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and said to them, Whom do you seek? Jesus isn't a victim of a manhunt. Jesus isn't a victim of chance. Jesus lays down his life voluntarily. Jesus doesn't wait for the mob to come find him. Jesus volunteers himself. Jesus goes to them and he says, Whom do you seek? That's what love demanded. And so they answered him, Jesus the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am. Judas also, who was betraying him, was standing with them, and when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now you'll notice that I'm reading and omitting the word he from the passage. And you'll also notice in your Bibles, if you're following along, that he is in italics which means that it's added by the editors of, their, of the New Testament to make it sound better in English. But literally, in the Greek, it simply has the two words, I am, ego, amy, the very same two words that are used in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3, when God first reveals himself to Moses saying, I am that I am. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word was translated ego eimi. And when Jesus Christ uses the divine name of God, I am, ego eimi, two things happen. It could be that the Roman soldiers draw back expecting a fight. Some commentators have said that, that that's what happened. The the Roman soldiers drew back, expecting a fight. But it doesn't say they drew their weapons. It says they fell down. When Jesus Christ reveals his divine identity as the Son of God, fully God and fully man, when he proclaims the divine name, and reveals his power, that crowd of arresters fall down in awe. In worship, in praise, in wonder, in fear, it was a mixture of all those, but they fell down at the name That Jesus proclaims, I am. And only one man is left standing in that garden that night. Jesus. The Christ. The Son of God. Fully God and fully man. Revealing something of his identity. Who does Jesus think he is? Jesus thinks he is the great I am. And at his name. When Jesus Christ reveals himself, people fall down. People fall down in wide-eyed wonder. Therefore, again, he asked them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I said to you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go their way. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ loved his own, and having loved them, he loved them to the end, protected them, cared for them, looked out for them, and on this night... With lanterns and swords drawn to arrest him, Jesus has a heart full of love for his disciples. And as he goes to the cross, knowing exactly what will happen to him in the next 18 hours, Jesus Christ, in love, is looking out for his weak, fearful men, his disciples. Let these go their way. To fulfill the word which he spoke just in the chapter previously of those whom you have given me I lost not one. You see the answer to Jesus' prayer in the garden mentioned by Matthew, Mark, and Luke if there's any other way let this cup be taken from me but not what I will but yours be done. There was no other way. There was no other way for Jesus to fulfill what was to be done by him in the giving of his people by the Father to him. There was no other way for him to save us other than giving himself. And in the midst of this, in the midst of this, Jesus, revealing his glory, revealing his willingness to sacrifice himself on our behalf, Peter, then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Poor Peter. Listen, if you were going to make up a religion and the first great leader of that religion was going to be Peter, would you have Peter doing things like this? Would you have Peter, the professional fisherman who's never able to catch any fish? Would you have Peter, bold, confident Peter, saying, I won't betray you, I won't deny you, I'll fight for you, would you have him have such incredibly bad aim that he misses the throat of Malchus and strikes his ear? No, if, it, if you were making up a faith, if you were making up a religion, you wouldn't have one of its founders, Peter the great apostle, you wouldn't have him be the way he's depicted in the Bible. But the Bible is incredibly honest about all our heroes. Because there's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus. The other gospel writers who record the the ear incident with Malchus, Luke tells us that Jesus heals Malchus's ear, And then Jesus said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? So here in those two verses, we have the gospel. We have Jesus Christ as our substitute For our healing, we are all Malchus. And Jesus Christ goes under the sword, drinking the cup of God's wrath, and he is struck down so that Malchuses like us could go free. He goes under the knife of God's wrath and judgment so that those of us who had sinned against a holy, holy, holy God could be forgiven, healed, and accepted by the Father. We deserve the wrath of God, we deserve to go under the sword. Jesus, the sinless one, goes under the sword for us on the cross, and as our substitute, he pays the full and awful penalty that our sins deserve. That's the good news of the gospel, and that's what we see depicted in this great exchange Jesus substituting himself for his disciples so that they could go free. Jesus giving himself for Malchus, going under the sword of God's wrath so that Malchus could be healed and go free. There's a wrong way to seek Jesus. There's a wrong way to go looking for Jesus. There's a wrong way, and I will we'll call that the Jesus-plus method of looking for Jesus. The Jesus-plus method of looking for Jesus is, is looking to Jesus with our human reason. Whom do you seek? Jesus, the Nazarene, a great teacher. Jesus, the Nazarene, a, a human figure. If you go looking for Jesus like the mob on that mountain, you will be going looking for Jesus plus someone you can understand. The Jesus plus method will not, will not work in finding the real Jesus. Jesus. Jesus shocks us on this mountain. No no ordinary man, no teacher would do what Jesus does. The Jesus plus method didn't work for the Romans. The Jesus plus method didn't work for Judas. Jesus plus 30 pieces of silver. The Jesus plus method didn't work for Peter. The Jesus plus method didn't work for Jesus for Peter. Jesus plus the power of the sword. You see, Peter, Peter is power without love. That's the Jesus plus method. Jesus plus power, it wipes out love. But Jesus, just a man, just Jesus the Nazarene would be love without power, but the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who displays the divine name and has this entire crowd of hundreds fall down, that Jesus is love and power. Fully God and fully man, willing to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. The only way to find the real Jesus is by using the Jesus plus nothing method. Not the Jesus plus method, the Jesus plus nothing method. That the Jesus plus nothing method says nothing in my hands I bring simply to your cross I cling. The only way, Jesus, for me to go free is for you to take my place. The only way for me to be forgiven is for you to drink the cup of God's wrath in my place. The only way for you, for me to be healed is for you to take the sword on yourself. There's no other way. It's the Jesus plus nothing method. Can I speak to anyone here who who doesn't yet call themselves a Christian? And could I just ask you, could I ask you to consider Jesus Christ? If Jesus Christ did what I'm describing tonight, this morning, On that night, he willingly gave himself up for us. Jesus was in charge. He went to the mob. Has anyone ever loved you like that? That he was willing to voluntarily submit himself, not just to a Roman mob, not just to a Roman cohort, He was willing to substitute himself and submit himself to the wrath of God as your substitute. Has anyone ever been willing to take your punishment, your shame, your guilt, no one but Jesus? Can I speak to those of you who don't yet know Christ and invite you invite you to admit the bad news of the gospel is true, that we all really do deserve God's wrath and it took the punishment of the eternal Son of God to secure our salvation? Could I invite you to believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners and the Lord of glory raised from the dead? Could I invite you to believe in Christ punished in your place on the cross risen from the dead. And could I invite you to commit yourself to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and ask him to come into the center of your life and help you become the person he knows you to be, a loved person, a forgiven person, an accepted person, an empowered person, a healed person, Can I speak to those of you who, who know Christ this morning, who are in this room? I've been following Jesus a long time. And you know, when, when I first started following Jesus, I, I'll be honest, I sort of congratulated myself at being smart enough to trust Jesus, his Savior and Lord. I mean, it was such a good deal. Who wouldn't accept that free gift of eternal life? But you know, looking back over the course of my life, you know what I've learned? You followers of Jesus, you've probably learned this too. I've learned that long before I ever went looking for Jesus, he came looking for me. Long before I ever thought it was a good idea to to become a Christian, he knew and had in his heart and mind on the day he went to the cross me, and you too. Jesus is the one we're all looking for, but at some point in the Christian life, you realize that Jesus was going to look for us all along. And when you begin to learn that as a follower of Jesus, it just makes you smile to know that someone went looking for you. Someone came to seek and to save you when you were lost. Oh, follower of Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the one we're all looking for. But you know why? Because we're the ones he came to look for. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And when I remember that, I can't help but smile and laugh. So the wrong way to look for Jesus is Jesus plus. The right way to look for Jesus is Jesus plus nothing. What do you do? What do you do when he's found you? What do you do when your heart finds the one you've always been looking for? You gaze at him. You gaze at him in wide-eyed wonder, what do you do? With a savior like Jesus, you gaze in wide-eyed wonder at, at who he is and what he's done. This week I heard a story, Parker Fretwell, our campus director, he told me a story about his son, Parker, same name, different people, his son Parker lives in Idaho and one of the things that they've had to get used to as they've moved to Idaho is that there's a different collection of wildlife in Idaho than there is in, in uh, Nashville, where he lived prior to going to Idaho. This week, he went out to his truck to get in his truck, and he just sensed that something was watching him. And he turned and he saw in a tree a 200-pound mountain lion. And he very slowly got into his truck. You see, when there's a 200-pound mountain lion, you know, you feel it. And when Jesus is present, you know it. Gaze at him. Be lost in wonder and worship at who he is be filled with wide-eyed wonder, and let your face show the fact that long before you ever thought it was a good idea to go looking for Jesus, Jesus came looking for you. Gaze at Jesus. How do you do that? Many years ago, one of my mentors, a man named Jack Miller, said that if gave this advice. He said, listen, to get this into my life, you know what I would do? He said, I would soak myself in the Gospels until I began to think the way Jesus thinks. How do you gaze at Jesus? We have four biographies of Jesus' life. Soak yourself in the Gospels. Read and reread and reread the Gospel accounts of Jesus Christ. Over the past eight weeks or nine weeks, we've been walking through the seven great I am's of Jesus. As you leave this morning, I, I made a little bookmark for you. It has all seven of the great I am's on one side and then the two uh, Ron, Ron, um, Ronco uh, bonus ones here. And I just encourage you, gaze at Jesus. Take these bookmarks. And memorize the seven great I AMs. Let them soak into your heart. I am the bread of life, John six thirty five. I'm the light of the world, John eight twelve. I'm the door, John ten nine. I'm the good shepherd, John ten eleven. I'm the resurrection and the life, John eleven twenty five. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. I'm the vine, John 15, 5. Before Abraham was born, I am, John eight fifty eight. I am, John 18, 5. Take these great I am's of Jesus and, and memorize them. Let them sink into your heart, begin to meditate on them. I was speaking with a disciple this week and we were talking about the value of meditation. And so many of us think that meditation has with it the Eastern idea of emptying your mind. And Christian meditation is just the opposite. We don't empty our minds, we fill our minds and our hearts with truth. We take the truth of who Jesus is into the center of our hearts and minds and we think, we meditate, we reflect upon who Jesus is. So take these seven I am's, memorize them, and then meditate upon who Jesus is. And if there's one of these that particularly stands out to you, then take time every day to camp out in that chapter of John and read and reread. And think and meditate upon that story of Jesus' life. And let it be a place that you camp in. So that who Jesus Christ says he is begins to capture and grip our hearts. And then begin to think and answer these questions. Take a little bit of time each day or each week. And answer these questions, what's something that amazes you about Jesus these days? Just What's something this week that just blows you away about Jesus Christ? What did you see Jesus doing in scripture or in your life or in the world today that impressed you? When you get together for dinner, ask yourself those questions and share with your spouse or your children. Listen to their answers. Or this question, what do you especially like about Jesus? You see, Jesus invites us not to just trust Christ sometime in the past, but to live today in moment-by-moment dependence upon him and to live in wide-eyed wonder at who he is is. I've been really encouraged over the last several weeks rereading a book by Don Everts called God in the Flesh. And in it, Don Everts says this, and we'll close with this, oh, for a church that would think on Jesus, stare at him, be amazed by his life, Oh, that we would all major in Jesus and nothing else, that we would find our jaws gaping at Jesus, and that when we look at each other, the first thing that we would notice would be each other's gaping jaws. Oh, that such gaping jaws would make us smile and laugh and high-five each other out of the sheer joy of this crazy Jesus. Oh, that amazement would seize us and we would shake our heads, slap our knees, and say to one another, we have seen strange things these days. Let's pray. Jesus, make us like those men on that mountain falling down in wide-eyed wonder. Maybe it was fear that gripped them. Maybe it was astonishment that gripped them. But Lord, may your Holy Spirit grip us and cause us to fall on our knees in amazement at who you are, the great I am, Fully God and fully man, who for us and for our salvation came down out of heaven and pursued our salvation to the point of death, death on a cross. Raised to newness of life, you now invite anyone who puts their trust in you to receive the free gift of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you never have, won't you? Won't you admit to Jesus, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned in many ways. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross as my substitute. Jesus, you rose from the dead. Jesus, I receive you as Savior and Lord. Jesus, come into my life and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, may we all, may we all gaze at you this week and may Good News Church become a church that is filled with people astonished by Jesus. Toward that, I pray in your name.